Hi, everybody. If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to or scrolling to uh, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, sorry, verses 13 to 17. If you haven't got a Bible, I'll be projecting it up on the screen later. So, isn't it great to have a church with of nations, many nations. We're celebrating Black History Month. We have people from all over the world here, and it's a real amazing testimony to how Jesus's message, life-changing message, can change anyone and everyone, no matter what culture or who you've, where you've come from or what happens. And we're grateful to God for this church, you lot, us lot, um, for what he's been doing. Also, it's great to welcome Rachel and Stephen. Give a big hand to Rachel and Stephen. They are, Rachel is the minister here at the Methodist Church. And I just want to say to you guys, and maybe relay it on, I think I've said it in person, what I've loved about meeting you guys in the back room there every month or so is your amazing faith for this place, this building, Stockton. And um, you guys have been amazing at how you've allowed us flexibility, freedom to make this place um, our home, um, along with you, yourselves. So thank you so much. Right, so good morning, everyone. My name's Raj, by the way. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, great to have loads of visitors. I wasn't sure how many visitors we'd have this morning, but we've got loads, and that is brilliant. Keep coming. What a celebration it's been this morning. It keeps happening every week. So um, if you're thinking about church, wanting to continue to try church, keep coming here. You'll be very welcome. Um, over the last few weeks, we've started our new sermon series uh, looking at uh, the eyewitness account written in the Gospel of Matthew about Jesus' life and death and resurre resurrection. And we've called it Come the Re Revolution. And I say we sort of tentatively, because it was probably me. Um, as some of you may remember, um, the dictionary entry for revolution is um, the overflow, overthrow of a government or social order in favor of a new system or a, a dramatic and wide-reaching change in conditions, attitudes, and operations. That's what a secular world understands by a revolution, or history understands by, by a revolution. This morning, after 28 years of relative obscurity as a carpenter boy in a nowhere kind of town, today, Jesus emerges for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew. The revolution begins, and that revolution, friends, continues even today. One writer put it like this, no one has ever discovered the words Jesus ought to have, should have said, or the deed he ought to have done. Nothing he does falls short. In fact, he is always surprising you, always taking your breath away, because he's better than you could imagine. So with that in mind, let's read Matthew 3, 13 to 17. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. I bet you it was called. Oh, it might not have been called, actually. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John, his cousin, consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, just like we saw there, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, everyone, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the whole of the gospel truth of how lives are changed. And I pray this morning, help me, help me convey something, a, a glimpse of who you are, Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, to such an extent that those who don't know you here this morning might say, I want to know you. And to those who do know you this morning and love you and cherish you, that your life will continue to be that rock in the highs and lows, whatever, whatever goes on. So in Jesus' name, be with us this morning. Amen. So where do we start? Um, uh, my old Bible, he's probably old now, my old Bible teacher, Mick Taylor, used to say, the best place to start, Raj, is always at the beginning. What we've just read is a car crash moment. Stop the traffic. Did you get that? Probably not. To you and me, we're probably thinking of this, you know, this beautiful little reading that we've just read. What a lovely picture. God the Father loving his son as he comes out of the cool, fresh water. And the, that beautiful, fluffy, woofy, coochie, woochie, woo little dove cooing about, white dove flapping its beautiful feathery wings, gently landing on Jesus' beautiful golden locks. Oh, isn't that lovely? If that's what you're thinking, folks, stop it right there. That's not what Matthew's audience in first century Palestine were thinking. They were thinking this was revolution talk. This was revolution propaganda. Quiet, Matthew. You're going to get killed for writing stuff like that. And he was, wasn't he? We know that. Matthew, the writer of this gospel, who converted to Christianity, became a follower of Jesus, was eventually martyred for his faith. Why should they have been so shocked? Well, this scene would have taken the Jewish audience back to the creation of the world, back to the beginning, as written in the old Hebrew translations, Aramaic translations of their Hebrew Bible called the Targums, which read like this, talking about the creation of the world. Some of you might remember this from your school days or in church. And the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove, and God spoke, let there be light. And there was no sky, no earth, no sea, no conflicts, no iPhones, no viruses. There was God. 
But not just any old God. There was a triune God. His name was Elohim. It's actually plural for God. Three persons. God the Father who spoke. God the Holy Spirit who flutters like a dove. And God's spoken word, his very son. Let there be light. That happened at the beginning of time. A three-person, one God. What we call Trinity. You may have heard that in church settings. And this was the dynamite stick that was about to blow off in the Jordan River. Matthew is saying, this is why, Matthew is saying, just like the beginning of the world was the project of the triune one, but three persons, God, Yahweh, that's what they called him, just like that, now that very same triune God, God the Father, God the Son, who, by the way, everybody, is Jesus, everyone. Ta-da, welcome him. He's about to change all of history. Get with it. Get with it. And God the Holy Spirit. In other words, that same God, he's telling the onlookers, who you've been worshipping for centuries, waiting for a divine, powerful, history-changing revolution, is the same triune God who has come in person right now to bring about a new kingdom, a new light in the darkness, a new humanity, a new hope for our broken world. And it's all centered on this God-man, Jesus. That's why we've been singing about him this morning. That's the bombshell that Matthew is opening up here. Not cute feathers, feathery birds. That's what's going on here. This is revolution talk, revealing our Trinitarian Christian God's plan. The same Trinitarian God who we baptized, Malia and Faith, right outside there. The Son, the Spirit, and the Father. The same God. And really, that's who I want you to get a glimpse of this morning. He's here. We want you to meet him. You've already met him, actually, in the coffee time, in the donuts time, in our sung worship. We've sang about him. In the, uh, in the contributions you might have heard from different people, in that video, in the dunking and rising to new life. You've met Jesus already. He's here. So who is this Trinitarian God? Well, the late English-born uh, Bible teacher J.I. Packer once said, the historic doctrine of the Trinity, three person, one God, confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. So, hold on to your seats. In fact, the preacher, C.J. Mahaney, um, when talking about difficult questions. His kids often ask him about the Bible. He says, there is one quiz question more difficult to answer than the one about the Trinity, and that is, Daddy, what's a concubine? <laughs> however, however much we want to explain this God, our God, in nice, neat ways, God transcends our categories. God is literally incomparable, indescribable. But people have endeavored to try. That's a good thing. God has revealed himself in the Bible for us, you and me, especially in the person of Jesus, to know him. Not just a list of do-its, to know him. Have you, listen, have you come to meet this God this morning? Because you can. 
You can, right here today. When the early Greek church were grappling with the mind-bending biblical truth of this Trinitarian God, they coined a very helpful term to describe it, and that was the word perichoresis. Some of you will remember me talking about this some years ago, from which we get the word choreography, designing a dance. If we were to draw perichoresis, say, as a diagram, it would look something like this, kind of. Um, you would have God the Father here, God the Son here, God the Spirit um, uh, also there, all in one but three persons. And in our picture, each one would be centering around the other, each one sacrificing their own interests to make the other happy. A dance, kind of like a dance. C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia books, recent films have been made about these books. One of the greatest brains, actually, of our time, Oxford and Cambridge professor, who came back to Christianity through his friend Tolkien, the writer of The Lord of the Rings. He said about this word, perichoresis, a dance, in Christianity, God is not an impersonal thing like a force or a power, nor is it a static thing, not even just one person. No, the Christian God, our God, is a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will think me, not irreverent, a kind of dance. Friends, God is, I don't know how you picture God, the Christian God is not some grumpy old man in the sky pointing his finger at you all the time, waiting to one day nuke you. He's a community. At his very core, he's relational, intimate. He, his very essence is sacrificial, giving out of love. And listen, friends, we, all of us, are invited to that dance. As C.S. Lewis writes again, um, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. So listen up. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each and every one of us. Each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take his or her place in the dance. There is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. They are the great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the center of reality, your reality, my reality. You see, the very opposite of this dance, or perichoresis actually, is self-centeredness, self-righteousness, and me, 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 I don't need you, God, where people remain stationary, unwilling to move, static, too scared too vulnerable or just too proud to orbit around others, defer to others, static, motionless, no dance. What the Bible actually calls sin. You've heard someone talk about that today. A life not centered around this three persons loving, life-giving God. Sin isn't just the breaking of a list of do-its in the Bible. It's much bigger that, than that. Sin is the despairing, life-sapping, joy-destroying, depression-breathing refusal to find your deepest identity, who you really are, 
and worship, what you value most of all in your relationship with this God and service to Him, the one who loves you. Dallas Willard writes, ultimately, every human circle is doomed to dissolution, separation, decay, falling apart. If it's not caught up in this life, this life of the only genuinely self-sufficient circle of life, that of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, for that circle is the only one that is truly and totally self-sufficient. And all the other broken circles must ultimately find their healing there, if anywhere. I remember hearing this as a, as a young man, a uh, newly qualified doctor, grieving the loss of my mom and brother who committed suicide and consequently leading a life of drugs and selfish relationships, depression, chaos, unreliability, arrogance, lies. I was a mess, a real mess. I'm a little bit better now. How on earth? Could God welcome me in? How on earth could he do it? That's what I thought. If you're not a Christian here this morning, have you really thought that through? With all our shortfalls and rebellion and disobedience and pride and selfishness, anger, sin, how could God let you and me in? How could God share in his perfect, spotless holiness? Staggering to even think about it, really. However, maybe that's not what you're thinking or not how you see yourself. Maybe you think, I'm okay. I'm nowhere near as that bad guy next, next door to me. Uh, I'm a decent kind of guy. I don't need a savior. In my confused blindness, that's what I thought. I also thought up until the age of 20 or so. But something that I read by a guy called Francis Schaeffer, Christian philosopher, made me rethink that. And so try and, you might want to try and do this or think it through. He did what's called a little thought experiment, getting people to think about Jesus being the judge, the righteous judge, the good judge. You might want to do this with me. He says something like this, imagine God puts a little invisible recorder around everybody's neck, your neck, my neck, everyone. And the only thing that that recorder ever picks up is when you tell somebody else how they ought to be or should be living. Sounds familiar? I do that all the time. So only when you start to say things like, you ought to do that, he should be doing that, you should never do that, I can't believe how that politician behaved, or I can't believe what you said or thought, suddenly, bleep, the recorder starts recording. In other words, it only records your standards for behavior, your standards for people's lives. And then as you roll on through your lifetime with this recorder around your neck, clicking away, eventually you come to the great judgment day when we're all standing before the throne of Jesus. This is just a thought experiment, by the way. And Jesus says on that great day, do you know what? I'm going to be really fair. You have no idea how fair I'm going to be. This is the deal. I'm not going to judge you by the perfect standards, the Ten Commandments, the Bible. No, 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 no. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be much fairer than that. I'm just going to judge you by your own standards. 
And so he, Jesus, comes up to you and he takes that little recorder off your head and you say, gosh, I didn't realize that was there. Flipping heck. And he says, no, it's invisible. I told you that at the beginning. Weren't you listening? <laughs> then he says, why don't we just play it back to see if you lived up just to your own standards? And so he plays it back. And we listen. And we listen. And we continue to listen. How do you think you would feel? Be honest. The reality would be this. Even if that's how God did his final judgment, based only on your standards, on my own standards, there's not a person on the face of the earth who would stand and pass that judgment day. You know that. I realize that. And thinking about that made me gulp. I needed a savior. But the joy news is this, friends. God found me in the midst of my sin. Not when I sorted my life out. Not when everything was fine and dandy. God found me in the midst of my sin and brought hope beyond anything I could do about it personally. Romans 5 tells us God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, God himself, left his position of heavenly glory and sinless perfection. Perfect dancing, perichoresis, the dance of all heavenly dances, to come to earth and become flesh. He moved from a place where there was no sin at all to a place like Bethlehem, like Jerusalem, like Middlesbrough, like Stockton, like my heart, like your heart. He walked in our shoes. He faced temptation of all kinds. He experienced misunderstanding, bereavement, rejection. He bent down. He stooped over. He entered your world. He entered my world. And he said, take my hand. Will you dance with me? That's our God. Romans 6.4 says, we, there, we were therefore buried with him through baptism. Just as we saw outside. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too have new life. Not just a patch-up job, new life. That's what we have seen in the baptisms this morning. It's a picture of what God has done in the lives of most of you here. On the cross, he loved us so much that he didn't give us what we deserved, but instead took totally on himself what he didn't deserve. Your scars, your condemnation, your guilt, your mess, your pride, your self-centeredness. Mine too. The famous passage in John 3. For God so loved the world and everyone in it, you and me, whatever you've done, 
whoever you are, whatever nation you have come from, whatever scars and stories you live, he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Life with this God forever in all the highs and especially in all the lows. The band could come up, that would be great. And actually, if you could just play something in the background, that would be really helpful. If you're not a Christian here this morning, and I can imagine in a setting like this, there'll be people who, like me years ago, came to a venue just like this, and I was not a Christian. I couldn't say in my heart that I trust and cherish, and I want to give my life to Jesus. There'll be people like that in this room. You're welcome here. You are welcome here. There's no pressure now. But I do want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so I think there's people here who, not, who are not Christian. But I also think there's people who are here who are kind of on the edge of a life with Jesus. Not fully in, if you like. Giving your all. Uh, not fully in in terms of giving your all to this Trinitarian God. And I want both of you, if you're listening, to know that God loves you. God loves you. And he's asking you right now, right here, to take his hand. Yeah? He's asking you to stretch out your hands to him. Just like Faith did. Just like Malihi did. Just like others have done over the years, over the centuries. So the time now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision. Life is about good decisions. So if you don't trust and cherish Jesus or your lukewarm, listen up. Maybe a family member's invited you this morning. Maybe you're a friend of Malihe or Faith, and you're thinking, I've just come for a, you know, just doing the motions. God doesn't do the motions. God loves you. So I'm going to create a little bit of space while the music's going on. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes to this Jesus. To say, yes, I want my life transformed by that, this Jesus who is bringing revolutions in people's hearts all over the world. Not the kind of revolutions that blow things up and destroy things, but the kind of revolutions that love the poor, that want to change the world for the good, that want to bring communities together, that empowers us, a God who empowers us to do these things. That's the revolution we need. That's why Jesus changes lives. So, we're going to respond, and I'm going to ask you to do it. We're going to do it this way. I'm going to ask you, for everybody, everyone, to close their eyes. If you close your eyes, we don't want to embarrass anybody who wants to respond. Maybe nobody will respond this morning. Maybe you don't feel courageous enough, but I want to encourage you. Be courageous this morning. Situations like this don't come up very often, and God's here. I'm going to say a prayer. Okay? And I want you to listen to that prayer. And if you want to, you can say it as I'm saying it in your heart. 
You can make it real. God loves you. I'm going to say that prayer. And if that's you, if that's you this morning, I would love it if you could raise your hands. Everybody's eyes are going to be closed. That's just a way of letting me know. But also, it's a step of faith saying, look, I want to start this journey. I want to take your hand, Jesus. I want to, I'm lukewarm. I want to come on this journey with you full throttle. Or I want to start this journey with you, Jesus. I'm going to say this prayer. Lord Jesus, you are the creator of the world. You made me. And I've spent ages throwing you back, discarding you. I've led a life of distraction. I've led a life of deliberate stuff you, God. I don't need you. I've led a life that wants to go my own way. But today, Lord Jesus, I have seen that you bring new life in real people, ordinary people, an extraordinary God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come into my life. Lord, I'm sorry for that. I want to turn around this morning. I want to be celebrating like we celebrated outside just a few minutes ago. And today is the day that I'm asking you, will you come into my life? Will you turn me around forever? And will you join me into a family of believers across the whole of the globe worshipping you? God's here. Keep your eyes closed. If that's you, this morning, be brave, be courageous. Lift your hand up really high, just so we can acknowledge you. Put it right up there, say, just to let us know. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. That's great. Great, thank you. You can put your hands down if you want. That's great. Is there anybody else? Keep your eyes closed. Who else wants to know and trust this Jesus? Who else wants to end their life of lukewarmness? going to give you a few moments. Ask him. Lord, I want it to be me. Already a few people have said yes. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you this morning. If you haven't put your hand up, by the way, you can come and talk to me or talk to the person who's brought you. If I've made anybody feel awkward, I apologize. But you know what? In a setting like this, it's right to give people the opportunity. Two people have just said yes. Okay. Spirit of God, come upon us. Spirit of God, shows your majesty, shows your glory, shows your kindness, shows your humanity and your divineness. Jesus, we love you. We want to celebrate these lives this morning and we want to say, Jesus, you are our greatest joy.
Thank you. Amen.